Yes, haha, <laughs> yes. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's been going pretty good. We actually have nice weather in Calgary for once. Uh, it, actually, it's funny. Over the weekend, it snowed a few times, but as soon as, as soon as I was like, oh, maybe I should go sweep or shovel, it was gone. Yeah? Yeah, so it's just like, oh, okay. I guess maybe this is real spring. Well, I mean, you don't have to jinx it like that, right? I mean, it is almost... Well, I guess it's almost May now, but still. It's kind of weird. Even the weather here this past weekend was kind of odd because it was, like, raining. We didn't have any snow. It was raining sunny cloudy basically it had no idea of what it really what it wanted to be that just sounds like victoria though it does it's such a vancouver island thing for us but you know when you're outside putting you know chip rock and all kinds of crap everywhere doing that yesterday it is kind of a pain in the ass when you're standing there and you're soaked trying to get shit done so yeah it's never a good thing no i can't imagine that but uh it's probably it's got to be good for the soil because I know Alberta's soil was pretty dry going like into two weeks ago. And then now it's got quite a bit of moisture in it and uh, we'll be getting some actual rain this week too. So that'll be nice. Yeah. That's been kind of like us because it's been so nice the last week or so. Like honestly, it look it seems like summer. It, we had like 27, 28 weather here Jeez. and we're just like, Oh my God, it's so nice. It, I almost, I almost put away the shoes for the spring and just, <laughs> just wore jeans with sandals. Total West Coast move right there. Yeah, I know. We, I thought I was going to be able to uh, just get away with a light jacket. Today was the first day that I was able to do it. Nice. I was like, yeah, like the highs we've had have been about 20. That's not bad, man. That's pretty good for late, but late April. Like, well, what's funny is it's like, It'll be 20 degrees, and then the next day it'll be snowing. I know. You can so definitely... Like, yeah. You can definitely tell that the weather is pure seco. Pretty much. So, Tim, really excited to get together today. Not only because we got a fully loaded episode this evening, but we've got a huge announcement to do. Announce right now. Alert, alert. Alert, alert. So, I'm very proud to announce that... Canuck from the Sens Collips will be joining us for our season four finale on May sixteenth. So does that mean we just have to get Cardinal on and we'll have all the call-ups? Yep, exactly. Exactly. And you know what? I wasn't thinking about that until maybe two days ago, day ago when we actually got him locked down, was that we finally get to cross Canuck's name off of our interview wish list. Although, does it really count because it's not really an interview? Can we make an exception here? Jesus Christ. You're still on that? Well, I don't know. I mean, it says an interview wish list, but, you know, I, I'm sure we can make an exception here, though, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> you see, ladies and gentlemen, this is why 
for years we used Skype because honestly, all I saw was Tim rolling his eyes going, yeah, 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 okay, whatever. <laughs> so Tim, moving away from our big announcement though, we got to talk, talk about today's cover athlete because today's episode is season four, episode 15 and chronological order. Episode 92, the 1992-93 Ottawa Senators. So, just a little background about the expansion Ottawa Senators. The team went 10, 70, and 4. Their captain was Laurie Bolschman, with the alternative captains being Brad Marsh, Bradshaw, and Savant Turjan. The leading scorer was defenseman Norm McIver with 63 points, and the Polish prince, Peter Sidorkowicz, led the way with 8 wins. So, you know, Tim, with all the years that we've been Sens fans, I don't think we've really talked about the expansion Sens teams. I think the last time we really talked in depth about this team was when we had Bruce Firestone on. So, I'd like to get your thoughts. And I know that you were only maybe eight weeks old when this team first hit the ice in October of 1992. But, in retrospect, is it crazy to see how far the Senators have come in 30 seasons? Oh, for sure. And, uh, well, the biggest, the biggest thing is, is just think of all the highs and lows this team's had, but somehow it's never been as bad as 10 and 70. And you want to know the crazy thing is, Tim, we're not the only team that went 10, 70 and four that year. The San Jose Sharks went that, that year too. Not even the lightning. Not even the lightning. The lightning did better than us. I mean, you can definitely tell that's been a trend over the last 30 years where, you know, they have two cups and we don't. It's true. Although, uh, I do think that uh, Ottawa's had quite a bit of success to hang its name on. Uh, Certainly not as much as Tampa, which is unfortunate. But uh, it's kind of the way she goes with just kind of... The Sens were the dominant team, even when Tampa, in the league, even that year that Tampa won the the cup in 04 it was just the sense couldn't really cross the line but going back to that expan that expansion year team that was a tank job par excellence and that's really the only thing you can find when people talk about that inaugural season is you had that and bruce firestone said it as well you had that really happy opening night and then uh the tank went as intended yeah, exactly. And I mean, really the only few notes that can ever be talked about the expansion sense team, and a couple of notes that I have off the top of my head, is number one is that we had the very first Brady that wore number 12. So take that, New England. A lot of people wouldn't realize this, and I said this earlier with the learning score being Norm McIver. Do you know Norm McIver's 63 points was a record for most points by defenseman in the season that was held until Eric Carlson broke it. That's actually really cool. And I'm surprised that, like, on those high-flying uh, mid-2000 sense teams, that Redden didn't break it. I know. And and that's a crazy thing, because I didn't really think about that until Carlson broke it, probably 10 years ago, was, oh my god, we never had a defenseman that hit over 60 points. Because I think Redden hit it came very close a couple of times, but we never got to 63. Yeah, like, it was always, like, 50, 60-point seasons, which is really good for a defenseman. That's outstanding, man, for a 60-point mirror. Like, I understand not everybody can put up, like, Eric Carlson numbers, go 82 and 82, 
and not win a Norris Trophy. Screw you, Drew Doughty. But the only real thing that we can talk about the 92-93 Ottawa Senators is one man in particular. And I know that we have played a game on the show before, but it's time to bring back a fun little game I like to call Stork or Sadork. So for those who don't know the backstory behind... Okay, you know what, Tim? I can see you laughing. I'm trying to be professional, trying to explain to our listeners what Stork or Sadork is. Can you please stop laughing for a second? So, Storkers... I'm just going to... Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, this is why we're not an audio podcast. This is also why we'll never win an award. It's because of foolishness like like we're doing right now. But... I mean, it's fun. It is true. So, the backstory behind Storkers or Dork, and I've made no qualms about here that I'm a fan of the podcast Taggart and Torrance. Now, I've talked about it in the podcast. I've met the guys in the past. They're fantastic guys. And actually, shout out to Jonathan Torrance. Trailer Park Boys debuted 20 years ago last week. Damn. Yeah, I know, right? It's insane. So, how we came up, or how I came up with the idea for Stork or Sudorg was that there was a game on the Taggart and Torrens that they played called Jet Ski or Gretzky. Pretty self-explanatory. It's basically one of the hosts would read a description... And they had to choose whether the description was about a jet ski or St. Louis Blues great Wayne Gretzky. And I thought, you know, that would be a really cool idea for the Third Line Plug Sense cast to do a game. But the thing is, I couldn't really think of a player who could fit that criteria except for one man. Mr. Peter Sidorkowitz. So Tim, are you ready to play... The game that is sweeping our nation of Stork or Sadork. Let's see what list you've got. Okay. Here we go, Tim. Stork or Sadork. Their diet ranges from such foods as French fries, fish, and insects. You're going to tell me that Peter Sadorkwitz has eaten an insect, haven't you? Now, is it a... go with Stork. Correct. It is a Stork, Tim. Good. Here's the next one. Stork or Sadork, they travel 12,000 miles during migration. That's also a stork. That is also a stork. Good to you, man. Two for two. Here's the next one. Stork or Sadork, they come in a variety of colors. What do you mean colors? That's just the description I'm giving, Tim. I guess he played for multiple NHL teams, so I'm going to go with Sidorkowitz. Now, I am going to give you a point for this, only because this could either be a Stork or Sidork. So is that a two-pointer? Or? That's a, that is... I'll, you know what? I'll give you a half a point. I'll give you a half a point okay. because you did partly get that run right. Good for you. Stork or Sidork. They originate... From Germany. Sidorkowitz is Polish, so we're going to go with Stork. Absolutely, that is Sidork. Oh, sorry, that's Stork. Good for you. Now, to close out, Stork or Sidork, here's the last one. They are known to be born in late spring. Hatchling season tends to be in late spring, so that's probably also a... Did you just go to the Stork Wikipedia page? I didn't actually, no. 
okay, this is a, that's a story as well. It's Sidork. Because Peter Sidorkowitz was born June 29th, 1963. I'm going to check the Stork hatchling period. One second. Because look, I'm not hatchings tend to happen in late spring. Now keep in mind, I'm sure you're not wrong on that, but I purposely had to throw that one in there just to throw you off because I knew a lot of them were going to be storks, so I had to give you a sidork. Mm-hmm. Uh, lay a clutch of usually four eggs. Hatch asynchronously, thirty-four days after being laid. Not endangered. Let's see. Communications, breeding, and lifespan. Nests are built in loose colonies. <laughs> okay, is... I'll have to dig deeper, but birds tend to have their hatchlings come into mid to late spring. Okay. So I guess that wraps up our fun game of Stork or Sidork. Oh, apparently Stork's. Stork parents will cull their weak chicks. Isn't that fun to know? Yeah, I actually read that too, Tim. Well, Tim, now that we've wrapped up our fun game of Stork or Sidork, we actually got to talk about next week's cover athlete because next week's episode is Season 4, Episode 16, in chronological order, Episode 93. Now, we only have one name on the board, and that man is former Ottawa Senator turned New York Ranger, Mika Sabanajad. Yo, so we're just going to listen to sick beats the whole time and not talk about them? Yeah, pretty much. This DJ is actually pretty good. I've heard that. I heard he used to DJ all the time in downtown Ottawa. Yeah, no, good stuff. That's good. That's what we should have asked Craig Madogly about if he ever went to one of his sets. The president is now Tay. I know. Although... That's true. Although I don't know if you saw this on his Twitter page, somebody actually tweet. I don't know if they tweeted at Craig or or Craig. Craig definitely quote tweeted something about NHL hits. Apparently, in the summer of 2018, Brady, Colin White, and I think Chris Tierney were going to do a sends play of NHL hits, and the capture card failed on them. Yeah, so I had to ask Craig if Brady would have had a no-dad rule to play a St. Louis. <laughs> Although, the, the 02-03 St. Louis Blues, absolutely dominant in Angel Hits 2003. Seriously, think about it. Demetra, Pronger, uh, who else would have been the third guy on that? Wouldn't it be Kachuk or no. was he gone by then? No, he was gone by then. Uh, I can't remember who the third me. Good times, though. Good times. Good times. Yeah, because yeah, that, yeah, that would just be playing heavy. I know, right? It's so good. It fits so well with Pronger, too, because he just crushes guys into the boards, and it's so dirty, and that's great. Jesus. They need to bring that series back, though. I, I will still maintain they need to do that. Who made... Was that Midway that made that one, or...? Yeah, it was Midway and Black Box. Oh, uh, okay. So, Tim, now that we talked about our cover athlete played Storkers the Dork, and talk about next week's cover athlete. I've got to ask the all-important question our listeners love knowing. How has your week been going? Pretty good. Uh, one thing that interesting that did happen was uh, 
Saturday or Sunday in Japan was the 10th anniversary of the last episode of uh, Madoka Magica airing. Uh, Madoka Magica being uh, a show that aired in 2011, uh, widely considered to be the best show of the decade. And what's interesting is part of the legend of the show is that the last two episodes are about this uh, cataclysmic event, and they were originally set to air at in like the last week of March in 2011. And then a tsunami knocked out a nuclear reactor, causing the Fukushima Daiichi incident. Oh, that's right. That's when they had that huge tsunami there, correct? Yeah. So these episodes were delayed, and nobody knew how long until like they announced basically over Twitter that, yeah, they're coming at the end of April. Sorry, they're coming like April 21st, 20th. Sorry, they're coming April 24th, 25th. Basically right after each other in a late night slot. And they had the time to just get these episodes completely right. So they had a an event in Tokyo, I think, to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the show. And they announced a movie project that is a sequel to the series and its 2013 movie. And it's probably going to be a and what's amazing about this is that the script, they got basically the whole original Magia Quartet, or Quintet as they call themselves. So they got the original director, character designers, main script writer, and setting designer mm-hmm. all back together to work on the movie. So it's like, it's the original brain trust. And mo- I think all the voice actors are back too, but that's pretty typical for Japan. And the original screenplay writer, Getter Robochi, on his Twitter basically said, yeah, I finished this back in 2014. I'm glad it's fine. People are going to be able to see it. Like, he wrote this script half a decade ago. Can we stop for a second and just think about the fact that 2014 is already over half a decade ago? Isn't that nuts? It is. Like, the fact that 2015 is already six years ago is so weird because I'm still in 2020 mode. Because to me, it's still March 421st, 2020 <laughs> at this point. Well, think about it this way. like uh, We're talking about a show that I watched in my first year of undergrad being 10 years old. It's weird, right? Yeah. Well, then again, 30s coming up. I know. Is it going to be a roaring 30, though, or just a boring 30? Well, I mean, I've got another year to think about that, so... We'll see. I was going to say, man, I think on my 30th, I might have to recreate the Brady DeChuck 21st birthday picture where he just walks out of the bar in shorts, shoes, and no shirt on. That's honestly pretty powerful. Yeah, except my birthday's like in March, so it would be 100% probably raining. Well, you do live on the east, sorry, the west coast. True. That's what it does. Yeah, that's true. It either rains or it's sunny or the two days of snow, two days of snow that we get and everyone just freaks the fuck out. Yeah, pretty much. Or or the inevitable windstorm. Yeah, that was really bad. The last time we had that really bad windstorm, half of our fence got knocked down. Yeah, I remember the windstorm in, I want to say 2019 when Chelsea and I were visiting her parents. Actually, I think that's the last time we visited her parents too for Christmas because we couldn't come in 2020, but... Uh... Remember that really bad windstorm that knocked out power to a bunch of Victoria? I no, off the top of my head, I don't remember that one. To be or was it twenty eighteen? 
I think it was 18. Yeah, oh, it was 18. Yeah, it was 18. Yeah, tail end of 18, early 19, because, yeah, it was like in January. And like the whole, my, like I said, the whole fence just came down. Now keep yeah. in mind, the posts were so rotten that all I had to do was just nudge it. The thing probably would have fell down by itself. But Fair enough. I just remember it was like, we didn't realize that it was happening because the condo building Chelsea's parents lived in at the time had a really good backup generator. So we were just doing our thing. And then we looked outside. It was like, that's kind of dark out there. And then it was like, oh shit, it's just, yeah, like none of the trap lights are on. It's like, oh shit. Like turned on the internet. Well, sorry, looked at our phone. It's like, oh, there's a massive windstorm. Crazy. Didn't fucking know. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we don't get them tons out here, man. But you know what? When they do, boy, let me tell you. You can totally tell we're not prepared for anything like this. As in our, our laid-back West Coast ways. So, I guess I'll talk a little bit about my week. So, I will give a little bit of an update to our listeners about last week where I talked about my mental health. I, I will say right now that I am back to 100%. I am feeling much better, so nice. I appreciate it. Even last week's episode... You can kind of tell that I wasn't still 100%, but I got it through it, and that's really all I can say about that. But I do—I will say a couple of things about last week, because I'm so glad that we did our episode on Sunday, because I ended up getting called into work on Monday. You guys must be really short. Yeah, we had one of our dishwashers that didn't show. Like, I think she was sick or whatever, so my boss texted me at like 11 o'clock in the morning, he's like, uh, hey, by the way, do you want to come in for a couple hours and work overtime? I was like, yeah, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, so it wasn't too bad. And, yeah, so I worked a six-week day, or six-day week this week. It wasn't too bad. I know payday is going to be on Friday. I want to see how that's going to turn out for me. That should be very nice. The only The only other things I can really say is, and this is such a weird thing to talk about, but I had to go to Walmart the other night. Because I live, like, a couple of minutes away from one. So I was like, all right, fuck, I need to go there and get a few things. And one of the things I did buy was deodorant. Now, this is going to sound like a, such a weird thing to talk about, but I'm an Old Spice deodorant guy. Just the way that I am. I can't really talk. I, I don't really have a specific scent or whatever they use. So I bought this one I found called Wolfthorn. I, I specifically what? bought it because it has a picture of a wolf. And the name's kind of badass. So I was like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna think about smelling it. I'm just gonna buy it and walk so, away. So, on a scale from zero to Sex Panther, where are we? Well, usually I would say that 60% of the time it works every time, but I'm gonna have to say from zero to Sex Panther, it's more of a hubba bubba. Tropical punch. It, I smell like a fucking thing of like. What the fuck? I fucking smell like uh, tropical bubblicious. Okay, so that's what the you, thing smells like. It's weird. When you said wolfborn, I was like, okay, this is gonna this is gonna smell awful. It probably will smell like forest type of awful. So I guess Bigfoot's dick. Yeah, Which, yeah. It just smells. It's it smells angry. of like just pure gasoline. I know, right? It smells so, like, tropical. It has a real fruity smell to it. I guess... I was about to say, I guess maybe wolves eat berries sometimes, but that's not a fucking thing. Wolves don't eat berries. No, Ralph eats berries. 
He ate it at the purple berries. It tastes like burning. Yeah, but like, yeah, no. What the f- what? I wonder what they were actually going for. I'm not too sure. And it does sound so weird to me because it's like, I'm like, oh, Wolfthorn? Oh, that probably smells manly as shit. And they put it on. It's like, what? Did you say Wolfborn or Wolfthorn? Thorn. Thorn might be a plant. Oh, okay. That, that might explain a few things. Okay, because I heard Wolfborn. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I know. And it was like some foresty shit. No, I'm not going to lie. I definitely stick to the abstract sense of uh, deodorant. So it's like your avalanche or your cool sport rush or whatever the fuck. Because, yeah, I see, like, sometimes I look over and see, like, all the Old Spice stuff, like Wolfbane and shit like that. Like, cool, but no. Yeah, it's kind of like the... I feel the same way about, like, the Axe fucking deodorants and shit. I just look at it and I'm like, no, what are we, 12? Like, no. I remember those fucking things? Yeah, remember kids at like seventh, eighth grade, you should just like bathe in that shit. I was no different. I was no different. I'm glad I didn't waste my money on that shit. It's not so bad. I know. Yeah, it was either kids would use that stuff to smell not so terrible, or they were getting high and they tried to cover the smell in their clothes. Yeah, I think that's what most people used used it for. Or they're using it as a makeshift flamethrower. I've actually used a... Yes, I actually have made a flamethrower out of it. It's fucking cool. I still remember that time when we went to camp up in... Uh, oh, Camp Kiwanis? Yeah, not Camp Kiwanis. At, uh, up at... Not Strat... Stratacona. Up oh, Strathcona. Strathcona, yeah. Up near uh, Campbell River. And uh, Mr. Abbott's just like okay, we can't leave this Gouda. What are we going to do with it? Trevor's like, step aside. You got a lighter. Mr. M saw the can of axe. like, okay, let's see where this goes. <laughs> yes. Like, oh my God. The opposite of how he usually is about these sort of things. Where it was just like, he got like the chill t- The guy is just like, okay, I would have to deal with these kids that, that much longer. Let's just see where they go. That was, it's so true. That was his attitude by June. It was just like, I will never have to deal with you kids again in a few weeks. Yeah, fuck, just do whatever. Well, it was funny because at the same time, I remember that uh, even though, like, we got, like, the super lax attitude, I think we rose to the occasion by not not abusing it. Yep. Because uh, the other cabin got torn into by Christian. Yeah, I know. Oh, God. I have not thought about that in so long. That's so fun. A, so it was so much fun. That Strathcona trip, that was a lot of fun. That was basically one that was the topper to our grade nine year. That's the thing I will always remember about that year was just how much fun that year actually was. Even though Mr. M tore as a new asshole on a few occasions. And it wasn't even like most of us. It was like four kids. To be fair, what the half the time I did something retarded. Actually no. I think it was one of the times was my fault. I think it was the day that I got glasses and then I still couldn't read the board. I don't remember that. I remember just like, I was like, oh, it wasn't, I guess it wasn't my vision. It was his handwriting. I just fucking lost it. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many moments from that year. Like, 
Ah, oh, God, there was uh, Logan running into the window still. Or is that eighth grade? Like his neck. No, because we got the. They had to put a. Safe, they bars. put safety bars, yeah. Safety bars, yeah. So it was just like, oh. Which I will say, looking back on that, why didn't they always have safety bars on that thing? That just seems so dangerous. Because the window still came straight out on an angle. The six are sharp. Yeah, as Logan found out. Or what about when uh, Dan Ellis and Dylan, <laughs> when they fucking collided in left field during gym class playing baseball? That was so dumb. Well, it was the right play, and they just dunk. Yep. Was that the year someone got hit in the mouth with a bat? Uh, no, that was... No, that was the year before. Yeah, no, that was Dan Ellis. Remember, Ellis had braces. He split his whole bottom lip open. Right. Because him and Dylan collided, and the braces sliced him open. Oh, God. Have we ever done an episode where we just talk nothing about but our grade 9 year? I feel I like we have some t- at some point. I think we probably spoke about it, like, after the we did our first podcast. Just went down memory lane. Yes, remember that? Our very first recording, we spent, what... Half an hour recording, and we spent like three and a half hours just talking. But keep in mind, we hadn't really talked in so long yeah, that it was just much. so good. We went back down memory lane. And then I think Chelsea got a greater appreciation of what her husband was like in middle school. Yep. <laughs> so good. I would like to know to this day, I still, I've never run into Mr. M after all these years. I want to ask him, are we still the worst class he's ever had? the last time i saw him was 2011 and i didn't bother asking but it seemed like the class he was working with was kind of useless because it was back to the grade eights helping out with things i think the last time i saw him was at your guys's grad really because i was 20 because i graduated the next year i graduated in 2011 he was there yeah i saw him in the lobby i ran into him oh i didn't see him crazy oh well so, Tim, I guess we could talk about last week's episode because, you know, and I, I alluded to it earlier that, yeah, my mental health wasn't a, really wasn't that great. Overall, like, what do you thought about last week's episode? I did like the fact we actually got some interaction about last week's episode. I got a lot more recommendations. And a weed whacker one, too. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was good stuff. Um, I did see a bit Rona yet. Um... I'm not gonna lie, it's like I don't remember much from last week's episode. Yeah, all lot we remember is that Mac actually gave us or gave you some recommendations on an electric weed whacker. Might have to go in on that. You might have to take him up on that, man, because that is such a such a great great thing to talk about. And it's funny, I actually brought it up on Twitter. And yeah, McKinnon said all Samuelson leveling Dag was his very first Ottawa Senators game. We made that episode for him with that opening. Honestly, we aim to please. Oh yeah, he told you get a, a DeWalt battery-powered weed whacker. You will not be disappointed. Yeah. So good. Actually, the only other comment I got to make about last week's episode is that, you know, we talked about Alexander Dag. Of course, he was the prize for the 92-93 sentence tanking. Adam actually responded to if he has any memories on this week's cover athlete, and he says he does. 
He says he was seven years old, just getting into hockey. He can still remember seeing the scores from the night before in the newspaper. The team always seemed to get beat by three goals. He remembers Bill Huard, I think that's how he says him, being dealt to them from Boston the next season, and then Weldon Wellen noticed the Sens. But it's funny how smaller towns are, right? Yep. And, like, who would be, I think, who would be, like, the next big guy to come out of Wellen? I think... Biz? I think Paul Bizonette, I think, was, like, the next one. Yeah, because I don't think Cowichan has had a big guy over there since Doug Bodger. That's not true. What about uh, Jeff Cortnell? I forgot about Cortnell. Yeah, both Cortnells are from there. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like, there hasn't been a modern, really modern player out of Cowichan. No. Like a, so, it's like, I think uh, if a player like that does come out of Cowichan, you'll probably see something like that happen there as well. Yeah, and it's not like we haven't had guys in the last couple of years that got drafted into the NHL or have gone on to play pro hockey, and we're talking about Matt Ellison. He played in the KHL for a long time, and speaking about Q of A, who was that one kid that got drafted by oh, Dallas? Alex Terrio. Yeah, he got drafted by Dallas in 2010. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he saw AHL time, but... I don't think so. I think he got injured. Cool. I... Yeah, because who did he play for? He played for... Everett. Everett, yeah. He played for the Silvertips. They got low-key, cool-looking jerseys, though. Yeah. Well, Tim, with all that being said, it's time to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Bit rambly, but it worked. Hey, I like it, man. I like the fact that we can just have a pure conversation and not be so tied down to all the stuff that we usually do. So, Tim, on last, on last week's episode, we talked about Patrick Marlowe tying Gordie Howe for first on the all-time games played list with 1,768. 1, well, Patrick Marlowe passed it. Yeah, and like, as we were t- saying last week, you have to go back over a decade to find a season where he's missed a game, which is even more impressive for the fact that in the last year he's been in the last few years, he's been traded multiple times, bought out. And, yeah, he's played full seasons worth of games. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, I am going to bring up a picture because when talking about Patrick Marlowe, I don't know if you noticed that he got custom-made gloves for the game. Oh, God. So, I'm going to bring up... I'm going to find this picture here, and I'm going to bring it up because... I'm go- I want you to tell me, and I'm going to bring it up on my share screen. Okay, so when you see this, Tim, tell me if you see what is wrong with that picture. Uh, there's no Carolina logo. That too? What's the big one, though? <laughs> it's right here. Yep. Most games played in NHL history, 1,768th NHL games. With an S. Yep. You, you can't do both. I love the fact that even Complete Hockey News Official, which is what I use for top of the hour, I love the fact that even they noticed that. Yeah. Well, it sucks, eh? You got these cool things made and it got fucked up. I know. Although, actually, one more thing, and I want to bring up this picture, because 
Look at his head in this. Look at that. The helmet barely fits. He was so small. Well, either he was his head was so big or his helmet was too small, but Yeah. Yeah. But no, congratulations to Patrick Marlowe becoming the all-time games played list leader this past week. So, congratulations Patrick. Another guy who celebrated a huge milestone is a former Ottawa Senator Washington Capitals defenseman said Daniel Chara played in his 1600th NHL game. Chara, drafted 56th overall by the New York Islanders in 1996, has recorded 207 goals, 458 assists for 665 points with four teams. The New York Islanders, Boston Bruins, Ottawa Senators, and the Washington Capitals. Now, keep in mind, I was supposed to say the Ottawa Senators first before Boston, but that's not really here, there, or anywhere. That is pretty cool. That's a Daniel Chara still going. He's not the old big Z that he used to be, but you know what? It's still cool that he reached 1,600 games. Well, what's insane about Daniel Chara is that he's still good. Given where he is, he probably has a couple more years left in him, too. Mm, I don't know. I, I think he's 43 now. He's I don't... 43. He's been aging really gracefully. Like, I think he's still capable of second, third line minutes. So it's not like he probably has like a year or two left before he, if he wants to continue playing before he gets the Chelios treatment. I think so. But yeah, it's like he might, he might be able to play to 45. Who knows? Like, but the other thing is Zidane Char is also a fitness nut and the man wrestles in the off season. So who knows? So Daniel Chara, that guy is such a freak of nature, not just because of how big he is, is because even when he first joined the Sens, there's been like numerous players that come out and said in his very first training camp in Ottawa, he legit outlifted everybody. And he was like 23 years old. It's fucking huge. He is huge. But I will say one thing, and I could never ever find any sources to confirm this, is... In Wayne Gretzky's final season with the Rangers, somebody asked Gretzky, why is he retiring? And he saw Daniel Chara skate by him as a New York Islander. He looked at Z, looked at his teammate, and says, that's why. <laughs> it's because of Chara. Now, the funny thing is, I could not find any sources that confirmed that, though. I've heard that so many times. I'm just like, I don't know if Gretzky said it. Nobody's ever asked him about it, so I don't know if it's true or not. You basically have to go through and watch basically every game and like a pre-game, post-game interview the guy's done to even find that. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if no one's dug it out that it's misattributed or just made up. But if it was a real thing, that's a story I'd love to be real. I know. Somebody should really ask Wayne Gretzky about that. If I ever met Gretzky, I would love to ask him about that. If he even remembers the clip, right? Yeah, that's true. So we actually got to give another quick shout out to Montreal Canadiens forward Eric Stahl, who has passed Rick Tockett and tied Rick Vive and Steve Larmer for 65th on the all-time goal list with 441. Stahl, drafted second overall by the Carolina Hurricanes in 2003, has recorded five goals, seven assists for 12 points in 41 games between Buffalo and Montreal this season at the time of the story so i 
didn't get a chance to confirm whether he has passed this record, but still, even at 441, that's still pretty damn good because Eric Stahl is one of these guys who is such a good player and I don't want to say he's been like Rick Nash where he's been just kind of underappreciated for how good he really is, but it is still pretty cool that guys who were drafted when we were kids are hitting these big milestones. Yeah, and it's just another one of those reminders that we lived, we lived through a pretty good era of hockey, despite the lockouts. Despite the lockouts, but you know what? If the lockouts were what we had to do in order to watch Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin go at it all the time, absolutely, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Eric, Eric Stahl is definitely... Yeah, playing in Colorado, sorry, Carolina and Minnesota, then to Buffalo doesn't really help your stock, does it? No, and we can't forget that forgettable stint with the Rangers either. I completely forgot about that. I guess my brain just like assumed when someone said stall and Rangers, they meant Mark. That is true. I think Jordan is the only one that hasn't played for the Rangers yet. And likewise, Mark is the only one who hasn't played for the Canes. That's true. That is true, man. So Remember double stall action. Yes. Yes, double stalls, man. They're so good. So we got to turn our attention to somebody who didn't play for the Rangers, the Hurricanes, or any of those teams, but he didn't he does wear the color blue nowadays. Toronto Maple Leafs forward, Joe Thornton became the oldest player in Maple Leafs history at 41 years and 296 days, surpassing Alan Stanley's record set on November 8th, 1967 at 41 years, 252 games, or 252 days to score. Thornton has recorded four goals, 10 assists for 14 points, and 36 games for Toronto this season. I only have one comment here. Did you see the thing that I quote tweeted on our Twitter page where it was yeah. Thornton and the Winnipeg Jets guy in the penalty box and they somebody dubbed Grandpa Simpson's audio talking about when he took the uh, ferry over to Shelbyville, lines over that. Oh, God, when I saw that, I laughed so hard. I was like, that is awesome. That is so good. Oh, that's good stuff. I guess the one thing I was surprised is that for a team that's for an original six team, I'm surprised they haven't had like a super longer in like the frame of like your Christian, well, like your uh, your Gordy Howes or your Stevie Wise. Or I think even is Key Carbono another long guy or not like, necessarily. I think he played in Dallas the last couple of years. Right, because I know Montreal had a few. I'm amazed just, Montreal doesn't have one of those kind of records too, right? Yeah. So it's like I was just surprised to see that Toronto didn't have one. Yeah. I am still kind of cool that... Well, you also got to keep in mind is that a lot of their players that they draft and developed didn't end up finishing their career in Toronto. No. Whether you're talking about the Harold Ballard, Harold Ballard years of the 70s and 80s, or even in the 90s, were really, like, who did they really draft and develop that finished their career in Toronto? Yeah. I always forget that, like, the Ball- the Ballard years were, like, 20 years of straight hell. I know. Like, as much as we rip on Melnick and it's been rough, 
hasn't been 20 years of just god-awful bullshit. No, we're almost at about, what, year eight? Year, year nine year eight. right now? Year eight or nine. Yeah, it all started around 2013 when Alfie left. That's uh, when I think the it forensic really... forensic investigation threat was pretty unhinged, and I think that's the first time we really saw Weird Melnick come out. Yeah, but you really started to see that the Sens were running into money problems around 2013 when Alfie left. Yeah. Well, it's like the the BioVale shit went down in 2011, sorry, 2010, 2011, if I remember correctly. So that's when, like, he lost his other source of money, right? Yep. So, Tim, we're going to move our attention away from a future Hall of Famer in Joe Thornton to another future Hall of Famer in Sidney Crosby. Pittsburgh Penguins captain Sidney Crosby has moved into a tie for 18th on the all-time empty net goals list with 23. Crosby joins an exclusive list of players in said tie along with Ilya Kovacek, teammate Evgeny Malkin, and Mr. Daniel Alfredson. Such a weird thing to keep track of, eh? It is such a weird thing to keep in mind, but also that's a pretty exclusive list, though, man. Like when you that look at the true. players that you see on that list. Yeah, like you got your Alfies, your Kovalchuks. Malkins. Malkins. But yeah, it's just Were you on the ice at the end of a game? Yes, no. I wonder what the record is for most empty net goals in a season. That'd be kind of interesting to know. You know what? I bet you anything, Michael Grabner probably has that record. Depending how hot either NHL.com or HockeyDB has their JSON database set up, I might be able to just query that. You know what? I can actually just Google it right now. Let's find out. Let's see here. Who yeah, has query, the most empty net goals? Okay, now uh, let's see if this thing will come up. Okay, so Wayne Gretzky currently holds the record for most careers against an empty net at 56. <laughs> oh, Marion Hosa with 40. Marion Hosa had 40? Alex Ovechkin at 39. Lemieux at 33. Jerome McGinley at 32. Eric Stahl at 31. Joe Thornton, Pavel Burry, and Brian Trotsch at 28. Brad Marchant, 27. Tina Solani, 26. Here's some of the ones at 25. Patrick, or Blake Wheeler, Patrick Kane, Patrice Bergeron, Mark Messier. And that's it. Oh, sorry, I thought Zach Parise, too. No, that's pretty cool, though. That's a really, really odd thing to keep tabs on, but that's still pretty sweet, though. Yeah, no kidding. It's just fun to think about, right? True. Now, we're going to move on to our next story, because this was really interesting that i read about this week and i actually wanted to get your take on this the pittsburgh penguins became the first team in angel history to win a game while being outscored by five plus goals in the third period during their game versus the new jersey devils on april 20th pittsburgh held a six and a six nothing lead heading into the third period when new jersey rattled off six in a in the third period in a seven to six losing effort That's got to be a one-in-a-million thing, eh? Just, I don't think we'll see something quite like that again. I I don't know what's more funnier. The fact that a team scores six goals and still loses, or the fact that the Devils are the ones that did that. Because that just seems like such an 
New Jersey Devils thing to do, that they would score all these goals and still end up losing. Although, if Pittsburgh lost that game, we can't make fun of the Leafs anymore. That's true. That would be just... You gave up how many straight goals? Yep. Seven? You were up six nothing. It was six nothing. Jesus. God, Lee fans wish that could have happened, eh? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So, while we did talk about a pretty silly story, we actually got to talk about something very serious here for a second, Tim. The NHL has reached a settlement, in quote, in principle, with Kelly Ewan, the widow of former NHL tough guy Todd Ewan. Ewan filed a wrongful death lawsuit in April 2019 that alleges that Ewan's passing in 2015 to suicide was linked to the alleged downplay of the potential long-time consequences of repeated trauma to the brain and profiting from a culture of on-ice violence. Ewan played parts of 11 seasons in the NHL with four teams, the St. Louis Blues, Montreal Canadiens, the expansion Anaheim Mighty Ducks, and... San Jose Sharks recording 36 goals, 40 assists for 76 points in 518 games while recording 1,911 penalty minutes. It's a lot of fights. Yeah, it's been a while since uh, we've talked about CTE stuff on the show. And it's probably because the NHL in the last, say, five years, fighting has really kind of taken the backseat where I think this season's been a bit of an aberration just because all the teams have played each other eight goddamn times. Yeah, I well, I would even go fat back even farther, right? I think since the deaths of Derek Bugard, Wade Red, Wade Redden, Wade Belak, and Rick Repick, I think that's when you really saw fighting starting to get more and more out of the game, right? Because I think... With that, and also with teams not playing under the salary cap, you have to be much more... You have to bring much more to the table in order to get a spot in the NHL. Because with the salary cap, you can't really afford to just have a guy on the bench playing five, six minutes a night. Just goes out there looking for a fight, right? And obviously, you have to have talent. You have to skate. You have to be able to play the game. And a lot of these guys just didn't see to do it. Like, Tony Twist wasn't. Todd Ewan didn't. Very few exceptions to the guys that can. Like, Bob Probert obviously could. Joe Kosher could. Chris Neal could. Chris Neal could. So, I think when you think about that, it's it's a part of hockey that gets phased out. But you know what? Honestly, I think between that and the fact that these guys are getting much smarter about... You can do this, but you realize that you're going to have a lifelong of problems after the game. Because this doesn't last all the time, right? Yeah. The other thing is just watching NHL fights nowadays, they don't go for the head as much. And I think that's definitely a, it's an improvement. Like a lot of the punches, like they might still go for the jaw every now and then, but yeah, you're getting a lot more body shots in the fights. So there's definitely, yeah, there's an awareness of it. And I think another thing that's helped is the NHL's instigator penalty has really, really made fighting an unattractive position. Very true, and we'll definitely talk about that aspect later on tonight when we get into the games. But I do want to talk a little bit about what this could mean for f- future players. Because I think for myself, when you saw how the NFL dealt with it, because the NFL had this huge settlement with a number of players who committed suicide or their careers got lost to CTE, they went out and then they had a huge 
there was a huge there was so many lawsuits against the NFL that they eventually settled and said, okay, we're gonna have a huge settlement. Everybody gets some money for your loss or whatever. And apparently the money was not huge because there were so many players in it. And I wonder if the NHL is going to be the next league that this is going to happen to. Because you saw it in the NFL. Like I said, you saw it in the NFL with all these players. Wrestling, you saw it in. And I don't know. I know you don't really follow the UFC. I wouldn't be surprised if UFC is going to be one of the next ones with some of these players dying, right? If the if the guys start dying and they find out they have CTE, there's a direct link because, you know, you see there's kickboxing, there's boxing, there's martial boxing arts in that, right? And MMA, you probably won't see the lawsuits because it's on the goddamn tin. You're beating the crap out of each other. Punching each other in the head is the core activity. A good lawyer probably might be able to get something out of it, but I think... Uh, you intrinsically waive your right to that sort of safety when you agree to be compensated for punching other people in the head with the expectation of getting punched yourself in the head. That directly. In hockey and football, you're playing football. You're not playing to get injured. In MMA and boxing, the principal activity is turning the other person's brain into jello. That is true, but I mean, I'm just thinking more on that end, right? Where I'm sure the pe- pe- some people could go after like Dana White in the UFC or how even after the Chris Benoit tragedy in WWE where now there's a direct link, right? And obviously, I still say hockey is going to be the next one. Hockey was hockey dragged through good. the mud so bad with CTE after all this stuff came out. But it's not just fighters, right? There was... Um, Trying to remember the the guy played for Buffalo on the French Connection. He had died, I think he died of a heart attack or something. And when they did the autopsy, they found that he had CTE, and he was a goal scorer. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the NHL is going to be the next one that yeah have a series of lawsuits happening Definitely. with the NHL because the violent part isn't the principal part of the game. So there's definitely you can argue that, yeah, I wasn't signing up to get my head run around. Not like that. True, but you know what? I think the the problem that the NHL really had is that they don't make... I, I don't want to say they don't make it, but there's a, so much lack of information given to the players. Like, you guys can go out there and play hard and play physical, and we love it, but you got to understand that there's rep, there's consequences to you doing this. And it's not just fighting, right? Like when you see a number of these guys who get injured and you're like, Oh wow, that was a great hit or whatever. But you never think about, Holy shit, that guy has a concussion or that guy seriously hurt. Well, we're going to talk about it in the next story where the thing is, I think the NHL's inconsistency in this, this next story is not an example of this inconsistency, but the NHL's inconsistency with dealing with suspensions is going to get into a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. Now, we actually got a story to talk about before we get to that one, Tim. Uh, we actually got to talk about Hockey Canada has named former Florida Panther and Vancouver Canucks goaltender Roberto Luongo general manager for the 2021 IIHF World Hockey Championships. Luongo, who will also serve as the assistant GM for Canada's 2022 Winter Olympic team, will also be joined by former Arizona Coyotes captain Shane Doan and Scott Salmond as assistants to the GM. 
you know, right around the time that Longo retired, it really seemed like he was grooming himself for a position in media. I'm not really surprised that he'd want to go into management instead because Longo always came off as a smart player. But I'm surprised that he didn't have a stop off in media first. Well, and you talk about that because I don't know if you remember the the TSN segment they did with him and Jamie McLennan where Noodles was like this hot shot media guy and Roberto was the backup. Kind of like the one they did when they were both teammates in Florida where, you know, Noodles was the backup, Roberto was the, the big hot shot guy. So yeah. the, the roles were reversed. I think, first of all, I think that's really funny. If we ever get Noodles back on, I do want to talk to him about that. I think that'd be really cool. I think this is really good. I, I like the fact that you're seeing more ex-players get into management and it's not just because of name recognition it's because they genuinely want to do it they genuinely want to go out and build a team well it's interesting because i think ex-players have always gone into management i'm just glad that there's i think it's more that we've seen these players evolve over their careers so now it seems a bit more natural for the player to executive pipeline it's like yeah like Scott and Stan, like Scotty Bowman was a player before he was an executive, right? But I wasn't alive when he was a player. Neither was, yeah, we weren't alive when uh, Joel Quenville was there, DJ Smith, any of these guys, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I often wonder when talking about players nowadays, especially when you see the amount of success somebody like Steve Eiserman has had in that general manager role, especially for this generation, I wonder how much of that really has played into more modern-day players saying, hey, listen, if Stevie Y and Joe Sackick and these guys can go into it, why can't I? Oh, for sure. I guess the hard thing is, is there's 900 NHL players, 900, sorry, 600 NHL player slots, but there's only 30 champs teams. So it's, it's always going to be a bit of a rough-and-tumble thing, especially when they're competing with players from previous generations that are coming up from, say, they did well at the CHL level, that they've done well at the AHL level, let's try them at the NHL level. Or maybe a coach who's done really well wants to come up that way too. Yeah, and so we're seeing that with, uh, remember, has that Patrick Waz now looking to get back into the NHL too, right? So, Oh, Jesus Christ. I know. It's going to be crazy, man, if he comes back and becomes a head coach. I'll tell you. Oh. Season five, man, we're gonna have a lot of stuff to talk about if he comes back. I mean, it was good for drama, but man, poor Joe Sackett. Everyone thought Joe Sackett was a loon, like a maroon, like three or four years ago, back when those Avalanche teams were just kind of spilling, spinning their wheels, and then all of a sudden, Patrick Watt gifts Jared Bednar comes in. It's bedlam for a month, and then all of a sudden the ship stabilizes. And then you realize, wait, it wasn't Joe Sackick that was the problem. So, Tim, we're going to close out top of the hour by talking about a suspension. Vancouver Canucks defenseman Alex Edler has been suspended two games for kneeing. Toronto Maple Police forward Zach Hyman. Edler is not a repeat offender. This was bad. This was bad, and I'm not surprised at all that he got suspended for this. Honestly, it probably should have been. Because that hit was deliberate, dangerous, and ob- 
obviously had a pathway to injure someone. Yeah, that's a total Matt Cook run right there. Yeah, you don't do shit like that. And uh, the NHL does need to come down harder on those obvious intent to injure plays. Edler gets beaten flat. And he just throws the le- throws the knee out. That, and knee on knee contact, especially if you get... Like, leg kicks in the UFC are a thing because if you kick out the knee... You crumpled the guy. Dude, did you see that clip from the other night where the guy broke his leg? I was like, oh my god. I didn't, like, I don't watch the UFC, but I saw that hit where it's just like, smack, and then it's like. Yeah, no. Your knee, like, the side of the knee is really vulnerable. And that's where Edler got high. That is an incredibly dangerous hit. And uh, I, I think the NHL should have gone a bit harder on that. That was bad. It was bad, man. It was really bad. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the air for this episode, which can mean only one thing. It's time to start talking about some games. Now, we got three games on the schedule. We've got the Sens versus the Flames and the Sens versus the Vancouver, or sorry, Vancouver Canucks. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Flames. This is a 4-2 Senators victory. Sens goals are scored by Connor Brown with two, Brady DeChuck, and Josh Norris. Flames goals are scored by Elias Lenholm and Milan Lucic. Shots were 28-19 for Calgary. A somewhat even game throughout. Ottawa started off the game with their offensive attack and puck movement being on point, taking a 1-0 lead. However, Calgary was then able to get their game going as they led in shots and would get on the board, but it was Ottawa that was able to bury their chances. So, yeah, that's the big thing about this game is that Ottawa came out fast and hard, and then the game just kind of cooled down a bit. Calgary got their feet, but they just couldn't, they couldn't beat Matt Murray. I'm not going to lie, I felt so winded there for a second. I was like, eh. <laughs> you, you know, you'd think four seasons of this, I'd be so used to this now. So let's start talking about some guys. Now, the first guy I want to talk about, Matt Murray, 26 saves, a .928 save percentage. Another solid start in this one. And the one thing I noticed is that he faced more high-danger shots than he did in the previous game we talked about. Yes, Calgary got all of, almost all their opportunities came from the slot, or the dots. Just Calgary, you could tell they knew they were on their last chance. They played a very good game. Yeah, And, and the, I think uh, if they had a bit better puck luck, they probably would have won. I think so too. And I think Calgary didn't play bad in this game, and that's the one thing that I really noticed. But a number of Senators got actually did have pretty good games. Connor Brown, with two goals on two shots... Had a really, really nice game in this one. Yeah, and to really expand that, I love—I really like the sense penalty killing in this one. Very, very solid. Didn't really give Calgary all that much. And then they just turned the puck around whenever they got an opportunity. And uh, it resulted in a really, really nice passing play uh, between Connor Brown, Zaitsev, and, sorry, Connor Brown and Nick Paul. Sites that were just on the ice, uh, that just pretty much sealed the game. 
Yeah, and that's the one thing I noticed over these games is that their power play has greatly improved. Like, it's unbelievable. We went from a power play where the guys just couldn't get anything going to now it looks like the centers have run this power play a thousand times without fail. Well, I think one of the big things is Batherson and Norris look way better. And it almost seems like the power play is running through Batherson as much as it's running through Shilton. So another guy I want to talk about is our good friend of the show, Brady Tachak, with one goal on three shots. The one thing I really got, I want to talk about Brady in this game is that I honestly thought him and Lucic were going to have a go in this game with how physical those two were playing against each other. I'm actually surprised nobody went at each other in this game. Yeah, I'm surprised too, but again... You don't see that a ton with the Sens, though. That's the funny thing. Like, yeah, you'll see guys like Brady, Formatin, guys like that who are just super pests, pesty out there, and they might start some shit. But I do want to actually talk about Alex Formatin because the one thing I really noticed about his this game is that he looks like a really young Ryan Zingle in the way that it looks like his hands cannot catch up with his feet. Because seriously, the th- puck would be thrown to him. It would either bounce over the stick, hit the stick, and go away. He just couldn't catch a puck to save his life. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like once he finally gets the hands underneath him, I think he's going to be really good because he his speed and his hockey IQ are there. It's just the hands need to catch up a bit because... How many times has this guy gone up the ice? He's been alone. Because not only is he known that the play is turning, but he's gotten himself in a position to receive a puck and get a really good chance. Yeah, and that's the one thing I really do like about Formatin. And not only that, but when he's playing with Shane Pinto and who's the centerman for them? Tyranny? think so yeah especially against the canucks i really noticed that those guys are just flying out there and pinto looked fantastic and i really liked his shane pinto's game in this one the one thing i really like and it's not all it doesn't always translate with a lot of the young guys is that shane pinto looked nhl ready with one shot in this game well i think the big thing about shane pinto is he gets put out in a lot of very difficult positions and he does pretty well. I really liked uh, the way he played through that game, especially on the penalty kill where he's leveling. He's throwing big hits, and uh, I don't think he was as good as he was uh, Friday night. Sorry, Friday night. Uh, as good as he was Saturday afternoon mm-hmm. against Montreal, but he was still his stick is very active. The takeaways are they're there, and uh, he's willing to throw around the body. Uh, I liked what I saw from Shane Pinto. Another guy, then the last guy I want to talk about here uh, for this game, was Eric Brastrom with one shot and an assist. And I did really like him in this game. And I think this is a guy who I always tend to try and keep an eye on him when he plays around because you always kind of see him kind of a mixed reaction to Eric Brastrom's game, depending on how he plays. Yeah. Honestly, I'm liking his game better each and every game. Uh, it's just he needs to... It's the Eric Car- Carlson thing, right? Young Eric Carlson definitely needed to clean up the defensive end. Uh, Eric Branstrom's in the same boat. 
It is true, and I think people might even argue that Carlson was never that great of a defensive defenseman, which, as a stay-home defenseman, no, that's why he had Mark Mathod, but Carlson was not a bad defenseman in his own way, and he was a lot more physical than I think people really gave him credit for, because he was a very, very underrated hitter when you really saw him take a run at somebody. Mm. Uh, and I think for Brandstrom, that's going to come. He's still pretty small, eh? And Brandstrom's still quite young. Well, same with uh, Victor Mete, too. Victor Mete's not a big defenseman, either. No. That's actually one thing that I really appreciate about the Sens, and we're going to see it in the next two games, is just how mobile they are. I know. Like, that so much more fun to watch, too, which is so yeah. nice. So, Tim... So Oh, go ahead. It's going to be a lot better in the next two. Because, like, the guy's 5'10", 179 pounds, just under 22. Who, Branstrom? Branstrom, yeah. He's going to get bigger. He's going to get better. Really? I thought he was 5'9". Hockey TV says 5'10". Okay. I think, is, it, is Mete 5'9", 5'8"? Not no, he's not a big guy. And you really notice it, too, when you see him on the ice. He basically looks like a little kid playing against grown adults. I'm I'm still surprised Montreal tried to slip him through waivers. Because he's a good little defenseman, and he's just going to turn... He's going to turn 23 this year, eh? That would, so be, that would be so nice if we develop him into a really good NHL player. Well, honestly, I think he he definitely has potential to be a good NHL defenseman. I don't know how how good, but the puck moving is there. The passes work. Limited ice. He saw about 14 minutes. I liked what I saw. So, Tim, do you want to head off into the second game of the evening? Yeah, let's talk about the other team we played this week. Okay. Sens versus Canucks. This is a 3 to nothing sentence victory. Sens goes to score by... Tim Stutzla! Drake Batherson and Connor Brown. Shots were 31-25 for Vancouver. Ottawa outplayed Vancouver in this game. Ottawa started off the game flying with aggressive offensive attack, which really helped them as they went up 2-0 by the end of the first period. Vancouver did get their game going as they created a number of scoring chances and outshot Ottawa. However, Vancouver was unable to bury any of them. So we're going to start off again. Matt Murray, 31 saves, his first shutout. Was his first shutout? No, I don't think it was. No, it, second. Second yeah, shutout, yes. Second shot. shutout in three games. Another great outing for him in Vancouver. Yeah, one of the things is the Ottawa Senators did a very good job of limiting the danger of the shots that Matt Murray saw, had to face. He only really faced two or three 10-alarm bell saves. And they got one post the whole game. Everything else was just good positional saves by Matt Murray from not particularly dangerous shots. No, so, it... full credit to the Ottawa defense. Yeah, and you know what? Credit's got to give to Matt Murray, too, because, you know, how we saw him play earlier in the year, it was really a what the hell have we got ourselves into, and now it's, oh, Matt Murray actually found his game in this one. That's very good. Yeah. Really liked it. Uh, this was a game where the Vancouver Canucks could not stay out of the goddamn box. 
No, they really, really couldn't. And speaking about that, actually, let's talk about Brady Tachuk for a second. He had one <laughs> assist and four shots and a fight. The guy had himself a game, but I actually do want to talk about the hit that led to the fight between him and Travis Hamnick. Because honestly, I don't think Travis Hamnick was in the wrong to do this. Because that was a bit of a late hit by Brady. I will give the Canucks that. And you know, earlier you were talking about the instigator rule. This is probably the main reason I fucking hate the instigator rule. Because it doesn't help the tough guys. The only people it helps is the guys who are rats. And I'm not saying Brady's a rat. But when you see guys out there who throw late hits and they know they don't have to answer for it. There's kind of a problem with that. Well, what's interesting about that play is if Hamannick had waited, either did it immediately or waited to the whistle, he probably doesn't get the instigator. Hamannick's really dumb timing and the fact that, yeah, he did instigate that fight while play was ongoing is probably what cooked him. And the fact that Brady was able to not only get away with the hit, but pull Hamannick out of the game for 10 minutes and get Ottawa a power play, that's, that's gravy. And that's, that's part of the reason why Brady Kachuk is a pain in the ass to play against. So it's like, I think Hamannick did himself no favors. And to Brady Kachuk's credit, he dropped the gloves. Yeah, and that's where I think a lot of people who don't watch Brady kind of think that he's just like his brother Matthew. Because Matthew's not like that. Matthew doesn't drop the gloves when he throws a hit like that. Brady will. And I think that's where the argument for Sens fans would be like, well... How can you think that Brady's like Matthew? Brady's nothing like Matthew. Where Matthew has more of the offensive side, Brady has more of the, yeah, I'll, throw, I'll play physical, but I'll drop the gloves when I have to and ready to go. Yeah. But the only thing that Brady is missing is pop block. Because that man generates scoring chances like no tomorrow. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Now, the one thing I actually want to talk about, you, you brought it up with the 10-minute penalty for Hamannick. Now, I got a chance to watch this because it was in Vancouver and we have cable here at the house. I actually got to watch the game on TV. I got to watch both Canuck games on TV. And yeah, it just seemed like even the Sportsnet Pacific guys were just like, they were kind of confused because they had said that, yeah, it was a game misconduct and whatever. And there seemed to be some confusion with what was actually going on. Now, leading into this, we got to talk about Tim Stutzla. One goal on four shots, had a really solid game in this one, got a number of chances. Now, the reason why I wanted to bring him up also is because the Sportsnet graphic, when he scored, said Tim Stutzla, first goal. <laughs> Tim Stutzla scored eight this year so far. Well, this is also, if I remember correctly, this is the one where Stutzla, like, you think it's bad. Bathurst's but goes off Stutzla's leg and the first person to point at the net is Stutzla it's like that's why that's why that's why <laughs> I know but you know did you see the joy on his face when it went in oh yeah you can't beat that it's so good and I know guys like Steve Warren on Twitter they went off about that being like yeah you know that's great that Stutzla is showing this kind of enthusiasm when he scores but there should be a vet that takes him aside and says hey listen kid you can't be doing this all the time because you might be rubbing teammates the wrong way I guess just to be an NHL player you have to be an insane level of ambitious competitive so I can see 
that rubbing player is the wrong way, but lighten up. It's a kid having fun. I know. And honestly, he hasn't also, scored in so long, too, right? Yeah. It looked good. Oh, my God, I know. It's so good. I like when Tim Stutzler scores because he just looks so happy when he does it. I mean, how can you be mad? It's true. Now, another guy we can't be mad at this, Drake Batherson. One goal, one assist on two shots. The guy was just all over the ice in this one. Yeah, and even the times where, like, he was ringing him off posts, too. Like, he was incredibly dangerous, drawing penalties. Someone else I really liked in this game was Thomas Chabot. I was just about to say, because this is the one, the final guy I have. Thomas Chabot with four shots. You talk about hitting the post. How gut-wrenching was that for Thomas Chabot to hit the post on the empty net? That's, that's almost a Senator's specialty, eh? Just hitting posts on empty nets. I felt so bad for Thomas on that one. I was just like, oh, buddy. That sucks. with Connor Brown. That's yeah, true. That is but true. Thomas Shabbat was electric. Yes, he was. And he's looked quite good in these games that I watched, too. So uh, The look. only other person I got to throw commands out to is Thatcher Demko. Despite letting in two goals, it would have been a lot worse without him. Mm-hmm. Because Vancouver gave him no support, went to the box way too often, and yeah, it would have been a lot more lopsided if it wasn't for Thatcher Demko. I think so. The, the last comment I want to make on this game is that one of the teachers at work is a Canucks fan, so he saw me the other day after this game. And he says, man, Ottawa, eh? And I was like, yeah. I said, it was so good. So good that we beat the Canucks. He says, man, you guys are going to be good. I, was, I said, yeah, we're getting there. So very, very happy about that. Always like getting a compliment about the Sens. Yeah. And it's funny because it's like a complete different story than the start of the season. Yep. You can even go back to some of my tweets where I said, if the Sens win four games, I'll shit bricks. I've shit bricks probably three more times than I thought I was going to do this year. Please don't shit bricks. I know, they fucking hurt too with all the sharp edges and shit. Yeah. Let's talk about a fucking weird game. The third and final game of the evening. Sens versus Canucks. This is a 4-2 Canucks victory. Sens goals are scored by Colin White and Evgeny Dadanoff. Canucks goals are scored by Nate Schmidt, Brock Besser, Tanner Pearson, and JT Miller. Shots were 33-28 for Vancouver. A somewhat even game overall. Both teams came up playing well, creating scoring chances and getting a number of shots as both teams got on the board. However, Vancouver was able to score late in the game to make it a 3-2 lead and then securing the W with the empty netter to make it 4-2. This game was... It was a fun game to watch. The Sens just died in the last five minutes. Yeah, they really did. It was really kind of sad. You could tell they just ran out of gas. Yeah, like, you could especially see poor Shabbat was out there for, like, the last three minutes, and I don't even blame him for the JT Miller goal. No. The JT Miller empty netter, because the, the man threw everything he had at it. The look on his face when he just had that just broken down look on his face. He's just like, I, I can't even right now. Like, 
he played 28 minutes. No other defenseman played more than 17. And Branstrom was effectively benched at 12 minutes. Yeah, but in fairness, the Nate Schmidt goal, I'm going to say right now, that's totally Colin White's fault. Oh, when, yeah. when you throw it down Main Street to him, how the fuck is Matt Murray supposed to stop that? I feel so bad for Branstrom because it was like a weird bounce. Branstrom actually gets back, gets the puck out of danger, and then Colin White just throws it down Main Street. Yeah, but there's not much Branstrom could have done on that first goal because immediately after he oh, got the yeah. puck, he got swarmed in the corner. I felt so bad for Branstrom. And Branstrom probably probably is what cut Branstrom's night short. And it's not fair to the guy. No, it's not. And, and that, that's probably why Shabbat was so dead by the end of the game is you've got your number two guy has been relegated to not worth playing minutes. Yeah, so there is a number of players I do want to talk about, and I already mentioned Colin White, one goal and one shot. I don't know how you feel about him in this game. I honestly wasn't that impressed with him in this game. I think he redeemed himself. Because, like, for the rest of the game, Colin White was solid. Actually, more than solid. Like, he got the redemption goal, and uh, I really liked the way that the Stutzla Dadanov white line played for the rest of the game. Yeah, I, I already mentioned it earlier. I really did like the line of Pinto, Formatin, and I I want to say Connor Tyranny. Brown. Connor Brown. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because there is guys in this game who I actually thought probably good. Thomas Shabbat, six shots. I thought he actually played a very good game despite the very high minutes that he played. Evgeny Dadanov, a golden assist on two shots. Thought he had an RA game. Two big guys I want to talk about. Once again, I want to talk about Brady Chuck. Five shots in this game. But to start the game off, he takes a run at Travis Hamnick once again. He he (laughs) knocks out the glass and almost takes out the cameraman in the process. I mean, you gotta pick up where you left off. This is another game where the Canucks were really undisciplined. There was a number of things in this game. Yeah, the Canucks were very undisciplined, but the one thing I also noticed on the Sens end, there were some guys who got hurt in this game. Colin White took a slap shot right to the face. He came back. He came back. But the one guy who didn't come back was Matt Murray. Murray. And I feel bad for Matt in this one because the guy had 12 saves, a .923 save percentage, and he's now potentially done for the year with that ankle injury. you hate to see it, a goalie getting injured on a no-contact play. That's why no one was sure what happened when he just comes off the ice. and then. So this is a game where Ottawa's in almost goalie, goalie trouble here. Because Antoine Forsberg is actually supposed to start this game. He's out by the end of he. I don't think he even makes warm-up. I thought he got hurt in the warm-up. Oh, he got hurt in the warm-up. Hogberg gets dressed, gets five minutes of warm-up, and then Zaitsev falls on him on the first shot of the game, and then Brock Besser scores on the second. So you're looking at it, it's like, here we go again for Hogberg. But uh, people weren't sure if Hogberg was going to get up after Zaitsev fell off. No. So Ottawa had to find a goddamn goalie and quick. Artem Anisiov. Could you imagine if he went in and he won the game for the Sens as a goalie? Well, that was my question is, what do hockey databases do? Because I don't think there's ever been a player who's been both a skater and a goalie. So yeah, if like Artem Anisiov actually had to come out, like uh, it would have caused a lot of work for guys like Blake Vickerberg-Cruddy, who are 
creating their own relational databases with different tape, different stat outlays for goalies and skaters. What do you do if you just have unique player keys? Do you create another Artem and Isimov in your database so there's two almost identical Artem and Isimovs? Well, it could be like how there's two Eric Carlsons in the hockey DB. Yeah. Both same spelling, Sebastian same. Aho. Yep. Uh, so it's like it actually presents a difficult problem. Honestly, I thought Ottawa deserved to win this game, but they just could not finish for the life of them. No, and it was really sad because I do think the Canucks played a much better game than they did than the previous night. But you're right, the Sens should have buried a few of those chances, and I think they gave themselves a pretty good shot. But I think goalies going down was really a big issue. Yeah. Well, it's like, depending whose ex-goal model you ask, Ottawa had the better night. And I think I agree with the ones that give Ottawa to the better night, because just, they were, they carried the play for most of the night. And they just hit so many goddamn crossbars. Vancouver couldn't stay out of the box. And Ottawa even killed off a full five-on-three. Like, if Ottawa could have converted on one of those power plays, it's a different game. Yeah, and it's not like they didn't get a number of chances on those power plays. Like, they were creating shots. They were cycling the puck. It was such a nice thing to see. But you're right, right? They couldn't, couldn't bear it to save their lives. And it's really unfortunate, but... You know what? I was really hoping that we can go 3-0 and this week. But I will say the one thing, though. Yeah. It only took 15 episodes for me to actually sit down and watch all three games this week. It's kind of... It's been tough to watch games this this season, honestly. Because, like, it's been... We've been playing the same teams every week. It's been kind of rough. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about this game is... Did you have Eric Brandstrom fighting Jace Harluck on your bingo card? I did not. Because that fucking happened. I know. Who kind of forgot that Jace Harlock was playing for the Canucks? I know I've mentioned this in the past, but still, who kind of forgot that he's not a Vancouver Canuck? Well, he's just one of those guys who gets lost in the shuffle, right? And he's not a bad player. He's not. And there's actually a guy on Twitter, his... I don't know if it was his Twitter handle, but it was definitely his name, that his Twitter handle was uh, Harlockia Boy. (laughs) It's like, he's not flashy. He's not going to put the puck in the net. But when he's on the ice, the puck's not going in the net. He's not going into your net. So he's like, as far as like legitimate defensive options go, mm-hmm. he's a good bottom. He's Eric Condren. That's not a bad comparison. Yeah. So it's like, it's not a bad guy to have around. Will he probably go down as the, not an infamous bottom six guy, but he's definitely one guy that... When you're trying to make a comparison for a bottom six guy, Eric Condra is going to be the guy. Well, it's like he's such a prototypical defensive forward. Because it's like, here's this guy who actually is pretty good, all things considered, on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. He, like, he shuts down play against you, and he actually helps generate offense the offensive zone. But the guy just can't fucking score. Like, that's the funny thing about Eric Condra is... He was really good at what he did. What he did was just low event hockey. It's not sexy, but it works. Like, look at some of these stat lines. So from his his first full season in Ottawa, 2011-2012, 
expected goals for plus two percent expected goals against when he's on the ice negative 15 percent it is last full season with the senators plus three percent goals for minus seven percent goals against and then when he played for tampa bay it was much of the same so it's just kind of crazy that this guy just carved out a niche as this pure defensive player who couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. When you think of, oh, I actually want to propose this off the top of my head. When you think of like random bottom six Ottawa Senators, who's like one of the first guys that pops in your head that maybe isn't Eric Condra? Casper's dog event. I was just thinking that too. Casper's dog events, yes. Because of the spinorama. That is so awesome. I was actually thinking that myself. I was actually trying to think of that myself. Like, who would I put on that list? That, that isn't Condra. Not Chris Kelly. Not Chris Kelly, I would put. He was a third liner. Um, yeah. Well, it's just like... Shane Prince? Shane Prince. Who else was on some of these teams? Bobby Butler. Bobby Butler, yes. Calling... The namesake of our podcast, Colin Greedy. Yep. Zach Smith. Curtis Lazar. Curtis Lazar. Peter Regan. Oh, Peter Regan, my boy. Where's he? I think he's uh, Danish, isn't he? Yes. Peter Regan, yeah. Remember when uh, Z-Dog Konopka was on the Senators? Zeman Konopka? Yes. Yeah. Apparently, I don't know if you watched that TSM thing they did on... Uh, NHLers who are dealing with pain post career, like they got addicted to like painkillers and shit. Konopka is on that list. Apparently, he's like super beat up nowadays. It's it's sad. Him and Kessler, man. Ryan Kessler's like fucked right now. Cause I think he has like Crohn's disease or something now. Ooh, is Kessler? I can't remember. Kessler's no, it's Bieksa that's on uh, Sportsnet. Yeah, yeah, and he was doing uh, this game too, the third and final game. Yeah. I don't mind Bieksa. All I remember of Bia- all I will remember of Kevin Bieksa was when he did the playoffs last year. Especially during the Canucks games where Rod McLean tried to throw it to Bo Horvat. He's like, Yeah, you know what? I don't want to talk about him. I want to talk about Quinn Hughes. Damn. And he just fucking goes off and Ron's just like, Oh. Okay. Honestly, go off, King. One thing I do appreciate about Kevin Bieksa is he knows his defenseman. Yeah, because he wasn't a bad defenseman himself in Vancouver. No. I just love and... the fact that everybody on Twitter was like, man, Kevin BX is so funny and he's so great. Everybody in Vancouver's like, you're, you're just noticing this now? Yeah. We've known it for the last, like, 15 years. Also, hot take, the 2011-2012 Senators deserve to win Game 7 against the New York Rangers. Just registering that one here. Not even going to argue that, Tim. <laughs> so, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on this game before we head off into the close for another evening? Nope. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M991HoneyBadger. I'm at GreatWayGipster, G-R-8-W-A-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to send us some facts for Stark or Sadork, send us an email. Third Line Plug Sensecast at Gmail. 
Com. Okay, Tim, so we need to bring up the games for the week because we got three games for next week's episode. We've got the game tonight and Wednesday versus the Vancouver Canucks. And Saturday, we are in Montreal to play Le Canetien. We get to watch hockey from different teams. I know, crazy, right? Now, to officially close out this episode, Tim, the Sens did play the Canucks earlier this evening. Can we get a quick update on that game? Sens 1-2-1. One, one. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys. But that also means that the Sens have won at least half of the games in our last two episodes. Let's continue that trend, eh? Hell yeah.